Hey, Cross Trainers, Donnie P coming at you on Sunday, September 25, 2022 from Gold Coast, Australia. I'm always saying it's a beautiful day here and um, I'm saying it again because that's exactly what it, what it is. Uh, beautiful sunshine out today and um, yeah, just perfect weather. I, I know why I uh, moved here all those years ago and haven't regretted it one second. So um, anyway, today what I want to talk to you about is the benefit of having a godly um, imagination. So let's get stuck into it. I think you'll find that this is quite profound if you study the scriptures that I'm mentioning here in this episode. So let's kick it off with Romans 1 verse 21. Everything that I'm quoting today is from the classic Amplified version. So Romans 1 verse 21 says this, Because when they knew and recognized him as God, they did not honor and glorify him as God or give him thanks. But instead they became futile and godless in their thinking with vain imaginings, foolish reasoning and stupid speculations and their senseless minds were darkened. So let's unpack that a bit. Um, Firstly, people knew and recognized God as God but they didn't honour or glorify him as God, and they didn't give him thanks. But instead, they became futile and godless in their thinking with vain imaginings, foolish reasoning and stupid speculations, and their senseless minds were darkened. So, um, you know, we, we need to honour and glorify God and give him thanks to avoid a vain imagination, um, because... A vain imagination is part of the reasons why our hearts are hardened and uh, why people are morally foolish and why they get into various forms of idolatry and so forth. So um, not knowing God or recognizing him as God is one thing, but this is talking about actually knowing God and recognizing him as God and then not honouring him or glorifying him as God, and not being thankful or giving him thanks, but instead becoming futile and godless in their thinking. So in other words, a deliberate um, choice to, um, you know, not acknowledge God at all. And, you know, that leads to vain imaginations, foolish reasoning and stupid speculations. And that's why minds and hearts are darkened um you know by doing those things it's it's a progression and and it's a choice so a uh, a vain imagination is just part of a perverted and a darkened mind and a vain imagination separates you from the life that god ha- uh, has for you so what it what it talks about there as well as um well in terms of um they became futile and godless in their thinking. Well, that's a choice and it's a progression. God didn't make us that way. God didn't make us to um, have futile and godless thoughts or vain imaginations. He made us to uh, want to think about him and to be in relationship with him. Uh, But if we choose to deliberately reject that and reject him and not give him thanks, not acknowledge him, recognize him or honor him, then we'll get what the rest of this verse says. Our, you know, reasoning will become stupid. Our speculation will become stupid. We'll get into foolish um, sidetracks and, 
you know, we'll have darkened minds. So we don't want to head there. So let's go over to Ephesians 1, verse 17 and 18. So just going there. Probably hear me flicking through the scriptures here. I've got the manual Bible out. I like to hold it and go through it. Maybe I'm a bit of a dinosaur, but uh, yeah, I prefer to do that. Um, So Ephesians 1, verse 17 and 18. Let's read that again from the classic Amplified. So verse 17, Ephesians 1, it says, For I always pray to the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, that he may grant you a spirit of wisdom and revelation of insight into mysteries and secrets in the deep and intimate knowledge of him by having the eyes of your heart flooded with light so that you can know and understand the hope to which he has called you and how rich is his uh, glorious inheritance in the saints, his set-apart ones. So let's unpack that a bit. Um, It says that, well, you know, ask God to give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation of insight into the mysteries and secrets and the deep and intimate knowledge of him. Um, you know, that's what Paul is saying. You know, we should pray about that and be open to receiving that. And uh, verse 18, by having the eyes of your heart flooded with light so that you can know and understand the hope to which he's called you of how riches is glorious inheritance in the saints, his set apart ones. So, um, it's interesting here, it's talking about the eyes of our heart and being flooded with light, but our, our heart has eyes, you know, you've probably heard the song, open the eyes of my heart, Lord, that I may see you. Well, you know, this is verifying in the scripture that our heart has eyes, we can see things with our heart, and so you think, well, how can that be? Well, the answer is through our imagination. Um, yeah, our imagination gives us eyes Uh, that's the eyes of our heart or part of it and it's talking about being flooded with light well um you know that's revelation of god uh you know um yeah to know and understand the hope to which he's called you so you're not going to understand that if you're not engaged with god and you're not going to understand his rich and glorious inheritance um in the saints or his set apart ones if you're not in relationship with him. So, uh, yeah, verse 17 and 18 talks about the spirit of wisdom and revelation, which gives insight into the secrets and mysteries and the deep and intimate knowledge of God. So this opens the eyes of our heart and it floods them with light so that we can know and understand the hope to which we've been called. So uh, people with a hardened heart only see what the word of well, they only see the word of God with their brains. They don't see it with the eyes of their heart. And that's a really critical and important point there. Um, if you're just a casual visitor or in a, I don't know, an infrequent relationship with God, well, you're not going to see things in the eyes of, of your heart. You're not going to have an active and a uh, productive imagination. Um, yeah, so it's quite interesting. So uh, we've got to move beyond the stage uh, of being a casual visitor or a casual acquaintance with God. We've got to become, well, we've got to spend the time and the effort of, well, firstly, praising God, uh, being thankful to him and being obedient to him. So we've got to focus on God and what he's already done for us instead of being focused on ourselves. So when we do this, our imaginations will become alive. And so... Um, 
you know, when we focus on God, um, we, we get our minds off this world and off ourselves. And, uh, you know, I, I refer to these people out there known as social media uh, influencers. Well, you know, there, there may be people that are, that are good at that and there's productive examples of that. But as a generalization, a lot of that stuff is nonsense. It's, um, it's the blind leading the blind who both end up falling into a ditch. You know, it's um, a lot of stuff to do with getting your self-esteem from the approval of others. And that's exactly why cosmetic surgery is rampant in this world with women and with some men like boob jobs, lip jobs, uh, liposuction, tucking this, cutting that, doing all sorts of crazy things, photoshopping pictures and you know, trying to live up to some uh, image that, that's out there, which is impossible to do because the bar is always being raised and um, anyone that's getting their self-worth or trying to get their self-worth through being what the world wants them to be will end up in a, in a dead end. They'll end up miserable. They'll end up crushed because um, you can never live up to anything that the world wants to paint as the ideal person. It just won't happen. So... Uh, this is why a lot of people are, are depressed and anxious and nervous and de- yeah, nothing good comes out of that stuff. So we've got to get our identity from God and from his word, not from people in this world or social media influences or the media or, you know, magazines or the internet or anywhere else. Just get your identity from Christ and who he says you are and what he says you are. Um, so, yeah, when we do this, our imaginations become alive. So we can't be uh, who God says we are unless we can see ourselves as he sees us. So we'll become exactly what we imagine, whether that's positive or negative. And so we have to deal with our imagination and bring it into alignment with what God says about us. Uh, so, yeah, we need to encourage and develop our imaginations and we can't let what other people say or do develop or define our identity or our future. And Proverbs 23 verse 7, which I'll flick over to now, is a really critical scripture in that regard. Um, So let's go there. Proverbs 23 verse 7. Uh, You probably hear me flicking through the Amplified here. All right, Proverbs 23, verse 7, For as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So whatever you think is what you become. That's the word of God. It's not my idea. I didn't say it. It's the word of God, and God is not a man that he could lie. So uh, think of it this way. The heart is the womb of the mind. Whatever's planted in there grows, and the seed that's planted in the imagination in the heart or of the heart gives birth in the form of actions to whatever was planted there. So we've got to protect, control and regulate our imaginations and make them fit uh, what God says about us and who we are in Christ and what we can do. Um, so let's go to Romans 12, 1 and 2. Um, we'll unpack that. So Romans 12... This one and two. Uh, again, I'm flicking over there. Okay, so I'll read this. So it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brethren. So it's speaking to the church, not to outsiders. Um, I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, and beg of you 
in view of all the mercies of God, to make a decisive dedication of your bodies, presenting all your members and faculties as a living sacrifice, wholly devoted, consecrated, and well-pleasing to God, which is your reasonable, rational, intelligent service and spiritual worship. So that was verse 1. Verse 2, Do not be conformed to this world, this age, fashioned after and adapted to its external superficial customs, but be transformed, changed by the entire renewal of your mind, for by its new ideals and its new attitudes, so that you may prove for yourselves what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God, even the thing which is good and acceptable and perfect in his sight for you. So let's unpack that, or let's unpack both. So it's talking about making a decisive dedication, so being intentional about it, uh, dedicating your bodies and minds, all of your members and faculties as a living sacrifice, holy devoted, consecrated, and well-pleasing to God, which is our reasonable, rational, intelligent service and spiritual worship. So being submitting to God is an act of worship. Um, Yeah, using our bodies and minds and members and faculties as a living sacrifice, putting ourselves last rather than first is also an act of service and worship. Um, So verse 2 Don't be conformed to this world, this age, fashioned after and adapted to its external superficial customs. Well, that says a lot. Um, There's so many people out there that are going through endless rounds of cosmetic surgery and nipping this and tucking that and cutting this and injecting that and whatever because they're trying to live up to some image that the world portrays of what's quote-unquote perfect. You know, all these photoshopped images in magazines that young girls and not so young girls are trying to live up to and looking a certain way and sticking out the lips and sticking out the butt and all these other stupid things where women and others are taking selfies of themselves and all of that. I mean, you know, this this generation or this age is one of the most self-absorbed and self-obsessed generations I think that has ever been on the earth. I mean, mind you, I haven't been around, um, you know, for for that long. But, I mean, it it just comes across that way. There's this rampant uh, focus on on the self, you know, quote-unquote selfies and all of that. What a total waste of time and waste of effort. Um, You know, it it really annoys me, that sort of stuff. Uh, People spending their, their whole lives on worshipping the the god of self rather than the one true god it really frustrates me and i can see that it's doing them no good often it leads to depression and suicidal thoughts or even actual suicide the the people that you think are the quote-unquote beautiful people they often end up killing themselves because they're miserable you know and the reason for that is they can never live up to expectations that someone else has of them or what they perceive the expectations to be. And that's an absolute dead end. It's a road to nowhere and it's actually satanic because that's what it's designed to do. It's designed to send you crazy and to get you to kill yourself. Um, Satan is is a thief. He comes to steal, kill and destroy. And that's part of his um, agenda and he's very good at it. So you've got to see it for what it is and not be conformed to that nonsense and not... 
you know, fashion yourself after that or adapt to it or, you know, it's, it's customs. Um, just categorically uh, reject that garbage and um, read what the Word of God says about you and conform to the Word of God and fashion yourself after that. And, um, you know, be transformed by the entire renewal of your mind and see, that's, that's a choice. And we can't renew our minds if we're not in the Word. And our minds will not be renewed if we aren't studying the Word with its new ideas and ideals and attitudes. Um, you know, so we can only um, have a renewed mind if we're engaged with the Word because that's how we renew our minds. So, and that's how we get God's ideals and attitudes and not the world. So... It says here in verse 2 that you may prove for yourselves. So it's an active pursuit that we individually have to do. We have to prove to ourselves what is the good and perfect and acceptable will of God. And I would say to you, when you do that, when you prove that to yourself, you'll see the world and its lies for what they are and you'll absolutely uh, reject them. You know, they're, they're just nonsense uh, they're, uh, yeah, they are literally designed to lead you uh, to, to death and misery. And that's exactly what Satan wants for people's lives. God doesn't want that. Uh, God came uh, to give life and to give it to the full. Um, but yeah, we have to be intentional. We have to prove for ourselves what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Even the thing which is good and acceptable and perfect in his sight for you. You know, so this is God saying, look, I've got a plan for you. I have a purpose for you. You're here, you're alive for this time. I created you for such a time as this. You are a unique purpose-built creation by me. This is what God is saying. We have unique DNA coding. We have unique fingerprints. Everything about us is unique. No one is exactly the same as anyone else. God made us right now um you know to be here for this time so we you know part of uh getting into the word of god is knowing what's good and acceptable and perfect in god's sight for you so ask him say to him lord i know that i'm not an accident i know my life has a purpose i know you've got a plan for me what is your plan for me jesus show me holy spirit guide me and direct me lead me into what you want me to do. Show me, give me your blueprint. There is a generic blueprint for salvation in, in the word and what we must do as believers to be saved and yeah, to, to move on and to retain the, the crown of life. But each individual has a plan and a purpose that God has made them for. Uh, so we need to press into God and ask him and say, Lord, what's your plan for me? Um, give me that plan, give me that blueprint, help me act it out, show me what I need to do and just pray to him about that. Be intentional and just focus on that and ask him and he will reveal it. And I can tell you what, when you do that, um, your life will be amazing. It will be productive. It will be fulfilling. It will be just in incredible, you know, because um, John fourteen twelve it says that we will do greater things than Jesus because he went to the Father. And so I, I wrestled with that for a while and I thought, well, what does greater mean? How could what we do be greater than Jesus? 
Well, the only way in my mind, and message me if you think anything different to this, because I'm not saying I know everything, certainly not, but this is my own thoughts, that the only way what we could do, um, you know, the only way it could be greater than what Jesus did is if we did more of it, you know, if what we did is more frequent, you know, in other words, more miracles, more signs, more wonders, more resurrections, more preaching of the gospel, more casting out demons, more laying hands upon the sick and watching them recover, more uh, passing by people and having uh, having them healed with our shadows, more feeding events, um, just more of what Jesus did, more expressions of the love of God, more acceptance of, of the downtrodden, more reaching out to the poor, to the needy, to the widows, to the orphans, you know, just more, more of all of that. In my mind, that's the only way what we do could be greater than what Jesus did. But yeah, message me if you have different thoughts. Um, I'm certainly open to hearing from you. Um, so yeah, it's it's a very deep verse, you know, in terms of Romans 12, 1 and 2, or those verses, should I say. So yeah, find out what God says about us from his word. Um and let the Holy Spirit lead us into what he wants us to do with our lives. So let's go to Isaiah 26, verse 3. Um, Isaiah 26, verse 3, again from the classic Amplified. Um, I'll read verse 3 and 4, in fact. So here we go. It says, You will guard him and keep him in perfect and constant peace, whose mind, both its inclination and its character, is stayed on you, because he commits himself to you, leans on you and hopes confidently in you. So trust in the Lord, commit yourself to him, lean on him, hope confidently in him forever. For the Lord God is an everlasting rock, the rock of ages. So let's unpack that. So God will guard and keep those in perfect peace whose mind is, you know, basically stayed and focused on him when we're committed to him, when we're leaning on him and hoping confidently in him, when we're trusting in him and committing ourselves to him, when we're leaning on him. Um, You know, so when you think about it, how many people in this world are on antidepressants and how many people, regardless of what they've got, quote unquote, in this world, money and possession and cars and you know, big jobs and big money and whatever else they've got, how many of them are absolutely depressed and how many of them suicide? Um, That stuff doesn't mean anything. But what really matters is perfect and constant peace. And those people can't have perfect and constant peace because Jesus is the Prince of Peace and peace is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. And you can only have peace if you know Jesus. Um, You know, so that's why they're depressed. Because money and fame and possessions and all that stuff, while it might give them a bit of a buzz, it's not going to fill the, the, the God hole that everyone has in their lives. So, But this says that God will guard and keep the, the persons that keep him, um, you know, at front of mind, uh, where they're focused on him where they're committed to him, where they're leaning in, trusting in and relying on him, where they're confident in him. Um, You know, these are major benefits. So having peace and constant peace 
is a sign that you're in relationship with God. And the vice versa or the opposite of that also applies. So if we're Christians and we're claiming to be in relationship with God, but if we're continually depressed, anxious, fearful, worried, tense, nervous, all of that, well, we aren't trusting God. We're not hoping in him. We're not being confident in him. You know, so the antidote to that is start to become uh, trustful and confident and hoping in God. Get stuck into the word and then God will guard and keep you in perfect and constant peace. So, you know, God will do his part when we do our part. And this is exactly how to get perfect and constant peace, regardless of what's going on, whether, you know, it's a recession, a depression, whether, I don't know, whatever else could kick off, any sort of drama, um, you know, we can we can have peace because it's a promise of God. And I thought to myself, well, why does God at the end of this refer to himself as an everlasting rock and the rock of ages? Like, what's, what's that there for? And I think the Holy Spirit said to me, well, the reason that's there is think about the characteristics and qualities of a rock. A rock is a rock, whether you're away from it, 5, 10, 15, 20 years, most of your life or whatever, if or when you come back to that rock, it's still a rock. It's exactly how it was before you ever left it. What it is, is exactly what it what it is when you come back. So it's just saying that God doesn't change. He says that about himself in other parts of scripture. Um, he, he doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and forever. Um, he can be relied on. He's just like a rock. A rock is there in good times and bad times and ups and downs and sideways movements. A rock is what it is, and it doesn't change. Um, Excuse me. And God doesn't change. And that's why that reference is there. So we can can have confidence and and faith in in God, you know. Um, So he's showing us here how to get in and stay in perfect peace. And so that can only happen by trusting in, leaning on, relying on, and committing to him, um, you know, by hoping in him and being in relationship with him, uh, focusing our minds and character on God and his goodness. And if we do this and what is said here in this scripture, we'll get what it says, and the opposite also applies. So, yeah, definite food for thought. So... What I'd say is our imagination needs to be stayed, focused, fixed on God. We need to mentally picture what God's word says about us. Um, If we don't keep our minds focused on God, then they'll become vain and clouded. Uh, Negative things will become prominent and we'll rehearse them in our lives and our minds. And then we'll get suboptimal or worse results than that. Um, You know, so... If we're not focused on God, then the void will be filled by the negative and we'll end up focusing on, speaking on and acting on and doing the wrong things. So imagination is is basically the womb of the mind. What's planted there in terms of seeds, as in thoughts, uh, gives birth to actions and outcomes, good or bad. So how much of your or my life has been spent in failure, fear, misery, regret, uh, you know, any other negative um, outcome or emotion? And the answer is probably a lot. But this is the antidote to a, a dead end life and 
an unfulfilled life? Uh, See, the answer is to begin to control our imaginations and align them with what God says about us and focus on that, meditate on it, imagine it in your mind, see it, act on it, do it and have it. And um, it's not talking about fantasy like, you know, Disney movies where you see a talking rabbit or a talking toy or a superhero or any of that stuff. Um, This is talking about things that you can picture in your mind, in your imagination that you can dwell on that will come to pass. Um, You know, things like laying hands on the sick and seeing them recover, casting out demons, um, you know, preaching the gospel. in a range of contexts, um, raising people from from the dead, a whole heap of things. But, you know, I would say to you that miracles, actually, the genesis of a miracle is in your imagination. Uh, when you dwell on it, when you think on it, when you speak it, when you believe it, um, ultimately that will come to pass. You know, if we're fully focused on these things, will be unstoppable. The enemy will run away screaming when he sees us or hears our name. Um, you know, we'll, we'll be doing great things in this, in this world uh, for Jesus. Um, that's exactly what we should be doing. And what I'd say to you is Romans 8. It's an, an incredibly important chapter uh, because there's some amazing uh, promises of God there about us, about who we are in Christ. So, What I'd say to you is read it and meditate on it by yourself. See yourself as this chapter sees you and think and do what this chapter says about you. Uh, Victory is ours, so stop living a boring, unfulfilled, miserable, predictable life, uh, which we've all done from time to time. There is more. God says there's more. Ask him what the blueprint is for your life other than the generic blueprint that every believer has according to the word. You are here for such a time as this. You are a unique, purpose-built individual with, you know, unique DNA coding. You are here to fulfill a purpose that only you can fulfill. Ask God what it is. Ask him what the plan is for your life. Ask him to show it to you. Ask him to give you that plan and the blueprint and um, ask him to help you, um, you know, meditate on it and then uh, see it be birthed into the physical. Um, So dwell on God's promises, live and do what God wants and what he says. And when you and I do that, life will develop meaning, purpose um, and direction. So Romans 8, uh, please get into Romans 8 and do a big study on it, meditate on it, just dwell in it. Uh, Study it for a couple of days, just get stuck into it. Um, I'm very tempted to read the whole thing, but I won't for the sake of time. Um, I'll leave that up to you. But there's some amazing things in Romans 8. Um, It firstly tells you what a corrupt mind is like and then what a spirit-filled mind is like and how to tell the difference. Um, But it it goes on and and it it tells you, um, you know, some of the promises that God has for us. Uh, A lot of different ways that God sees us, um, you know, and how we can overcome in this life. And what, yeah, it it highlights as well what Jesus did for us by the fact that his death on the cross um, enabled us to receive the Holy Spirit. But there's some amazing promises in Romans 8. Um, 
I'll just uh, read some of them. Romans 8 verse 28, it says, We are assured and know that God being a partner in their labor, all things work together and are fitting into a plan for good to and for those who love God and are called according to his design and purpose. So God has a design and a purpose for each each one of us. And um, he has a, a plan for each one of us. Um, you know, and we can fit into the plan, the, the good plan, um, you know, if, if we love God. Um, you know, so it says we can be assured and know that that is the actual case. All things work together and are fitting into a plan, God's plan, for good. You know, so regardless of what someone says about us or runs us down or whatever, who cares what they say or do? Because God has a plan and he's uh, fulfilling that plan. And as we submit to him, um, you know, we are more than conquerors in Christ. Um, so focus on that. And verse 31, what then shall we say to all, all this? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who can be our foe if God is on our side? Well, it, it brings me to the remembrance of the book of Judges and Gideon, you know, and Gideon said to God when, you know, the angel turned up and said, hey, mighty man of valor, Gideon sort of metaphorically <laughs> or even literally looking around and going, what, who, who are you talking to? Oh, you're talking to me? I'm not a man of valor. What are you, why are you calling me a mighty man of valor? I'm the least in the tribes of Israel and I'm, I'm the least of the least tribes. So like, what are you talking to me about that for? Uh, but the angel got it right and the angel encouraged him to see himself as God sees him or saw him. Um, you know, so we are mighty men of valor and women. Uh, we need to see ourselves how God sees us. And, um, you know, Gideon was, uh, yeah, just so, well, I don't know if the word's untrusting or unbelieving or whatever, but he just said to God, well, you know, I, I need some signs here, God. I mean, if this is real, if you really said that to me, then I'm going to need you to, like, prove, prove it. Um, so, yeah, let's let's not let's not get into that sort of position. Let's uh, trust God at, at what He says and believe Him without needing signs, quote unquote, because the Bible is our sign. Unlike Gideon, we have the Word of God. He didn't have the luxury that we have. Uh, he was on the earth before Jesus. Um, we're very fortunate. Um, we have the written Word of God uh, and the Holy Spirit, so we're in a much better shape than Gideon ever was. Um, but yeah, God is for us. He's, he's not against us. And verse 33 of Romans 8, it says, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect when it is God who justifies, that is, who puts us in right relationship to himself? Who shall come forward and accuse or impeach those whom God has chosen? Will God who acquits us? The answer is no. Um, yeah, and... Well, I'll, I'll keep going until verse 37. It says, verse 34, Who is there to condemn us? Will Christ Jesus, the Messiah, who died, or rather who has raised from the dead, who is at the right hand of God, actually pleading as, his inter yeah, uh, pleading as he intercedes for us? Well, the answer is no. Who shall ever separate us from Christ's love? Verse 35, 
shall suffering or affliction or tribulation or calamity or distress or persecution, hunger, destitution, peril or the sword? Again, the answer is no. Verse 36, even as it is written, for your sake, we are put to death all day long. We are regarded and counted as sheep for the slaughter. Well, you know, uh, when you read the book of Revelation, there's um, a number of martyrs, the uh, yeah, there, there's there's a number of martyrs that must be fulfilled before the end, and unfortunately, uh, the word says that a lot of true believers will be martyred for their faith in Christ. Um, so, whether or not, well, you know, the, it, it's uh, it's happened in in this life already. I, I think of yeah, Christians in Egypt and Libya that were beheaded for their faith in Christ and they didn't recant, they didn't turn away. So I know of uh, martyrs that were burned alive and things like that for their faith in India, um, you know, in my lifetime, uh, people that we we knew of, uh, Christians. So, yeah, there, there's more to this life than this life. But, um, you know, Jesus said we, and yeah, not to love our lives unto death. We, we're to be committed to him regardless of what, what happens. But verse 37, um, yet amidst all these things, we are more than conquerors and gain a surpassing victory through him who loved us. And verse 38 and 39, which ends the chapter, I'll read that. For I'm persuaded beyond doubt, and I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor, nor principalities, nor things impending, and threatening, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So God's saying, well, regardless of what happens in this life, he's for us. And when he's for us, no one and nothing can be against us. So, you know, focus our, ourselves on that, but uh, use your imagination uh, positively and powerfully for yourself. Uh, shut your eyes and imagine yourself resurrecting someone just like Jesus did with uh, Lazarus. Imagine yourself going into a funeral home and resurrecting people, um, you know, laying hands on the sick and seeing them recover, having your shadow heal people when you walk past them, uh, seeing lame people get up and run around like uh uh, you know, happened in, in uh, yeah, the early church days. Uh, Peter and John, I think it was, with the cripple at, at the um, the entry to the temple when they said, well, silver and gold we, we don't have, but what we do have we give to you. Get up and walk in the name of Jesus. And, and, and he did. And when it says silver and gold, uh, gold we, we don't have, uh, they may just not have had it on them at the time. Um, don't think that we're supposed to be impoverished or, you know, destitute as servants of God. God has no problem with you having some wealth as long as you don't worship that, as long as you're giving and serving and helping and not worshipping that stuff. Um, many people in, in the Bible were wealthy. Uh, one in particular, well, Job and David, but there's many more. So think about that. Um, so yeah, Romans 8 is a critical chapter because it outlines uh, how to escape uh, condemnation and understand what Christ did for us and why he did it. Uh, it talks about what happens when you set your mind on God and and when you don't. And it tells us about the Holy Spirit and how to think and use our minds. Um, 
it contrasts godly and ungodly minds and outcomes, and it gets into specific promises of God, you know. So I'd encourage you to get heavily into Romans 8 and the rest of the word to read the promises that God says about us and to internalize them and to imagine yourself in your mind's eye, in your heart, in the eyes of of your heart, Um, see yourself doing signs, wonders, miracles, preaching the gospel, um, just being a better version of you, and more importantly, fulfilling the the purpose and plan that God has for us, uh, for you, uh, for being on this earth. I intend to do that myself. Um, I haven't uh, fulfilled my destiny yet. I don't think I'm. I'm just starting to come into alignment with with God. And the more I focus my mind and my imagination on God and His purpose and plan for me, the more unstoppable I'll be, and the more un- unstoppable you'll be. And whatever happens in this world will not matter because you know God will will see what He started through for you and for me, and we'll have amazing victorious lives. Um, so yeah, uh, be blessed, have a great week and I'll talk to you next time. Bye.